Welcome to the I Say All That. Wait a minute. That's the wrong Try script. To rip it off. I know, ripping it off already. Sorry about that. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Lost Boys, the Found Fathers podcast. I'm Gabriel Sullivan, and joining me is my co-host, Will Haycox. And today we are joined by John Andrews, host of the I Say All That to Say This podcast. We are men who have suffered the loss of a child, and through this production we desire to offer encouragement, strength, and hope to our fellow brothers who have traveled the same journey. I want to thank you all so much for joining us today, and John, I want to thank you for joining us today from the I Say All That to Say This podcast. And before we get into this today, I just want to say, I don't know what happened on the on the sound last episode. Uh, we, we thought that it would be a really good idea to record in the bottom of an empty uh, metal pool. So we took our equipment to the bottom of the pool where Will was skateboarding mm-hmm. or, uh, later in the day, and somehow we had this massive echo. So I don't know what happened there, but at least you got to hear everything twice. So hopefully mm-hmm. it sunk in. So uh, I'm going to throw it over to Will. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah, uh, we just want to thank you all for listening and uh, getting to this point. I think this is episode 27, so we are very grateful to be to this point, and we're we're blessed to have all of you along with us. And uh, we want to just get started here pretty quick, but uh, we were talking before the podcast, so we just want to give you a heads up in, in case you're not aware of what we're talking about here in this podcast. It's the first episode that you've jumped into uh, we're talking about child loss and infant loss, and so this may be a tough thing for you to hear if you're not prepared for that. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into what really happened and uh, John and his wife's experiences with uh, miscarriage. And so if that's something that you're not prepared for, uh, go ahead and turn this podcast off now. Uh, we hope that you're here to hear some real stories of, of guys that have been through this stuff, the same thing that you have, and that you are, are ready to open your heart and, and hear what we have to say. So with that said, uh, welcome, John. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Uh, we just want to get started right. We already said uh, your name's John Andrews. You're from the I Say All That to Say This podcast. And I want to just open the floor and let you tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and, and kind of how did you get here to Spartanburg, South Carolina? Uh, well, I uh, came to Spartanburg when I was 18. Uh, played, uh, I came to be a student at Wofford College, I have mm-hmm. to say that. But I was also a, a basketball player and uh, finished up there when mm-hmm. uh, a year at Converse to get my master's in education. Uh, they do allow men. Now it, it's not as funny a joke. Back then people would look at me crossways when I said I went to Converse. But they actually allow men into the graduate program. And so mm-hmm. I uh, got my master's there and started teaching uh, high school in the upstate mm-hmm. and taught and coached for eight years uh, before God called me into full-time ministry. That's cool. Um, you go, tell us about your family. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 25th anniversary uh, back in July. Um, actually got to cel- celebrate our anniversary on the mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first mission project we had done because of COVID in the last year and a half. Uh, so we were able to go to the Middle East, and uh, we were able to sell our, celebrate our anniversary there. Um, uh, we have two kids. Uh, my daughter is uh, just turned 21 mm-hmm. last month. That's hard to believe. Uh, and my, she, is, she is working part-time, going to school full-time here locally. Uh, my son is a freshman uh, down at Charleston Southern. He's mm-hmm. going to be running track down there. Cool. Uh, we want to just uh, want to let you tell the story of your children here, but first, just for for any listeners that uh, are not believers or just anyone that's curious, could you give us a short overview of your testimony? 
yeah, I was running a uh, a uh, drug ring in my church nursery, <laughs> and I was the baddest dude on the block, and uh, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and uh, no, I always kind of, baby Tylenol. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. baby aspirin, yeah. and uh, maybe a squeegee full of Nyquil or something like that. But uh, <clears throat> I always joke with people. You know, we kind of toss around this idea of testimony envy. We think. <laughs> You know, the worse you were before you met Jesus, mm-hmm. the better the the, the mm-hmm. conversion. Uh, and that's not true. Uh, mm-hmm. New life is new life, period. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle. It's nothing that we're capable of ourselves. And uh, and so I actually was four years old. Sometimes people look at me mm-hmm. like, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I remember still to this day, and I'm older than four now. Mm-hmm. But I'm older than 44 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I remember to this day. Uh, my, my dad was a pastor, uh, so we were always at church. I did have a drug problem growing up. No, mm-hmm. no kidding. My parents drug me to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> Do you have a, like a sound? We'll add that. Okay, yeah, edit that in. But it was a Sunday night. We got to church early, of course, hour or more, like we always did. And I just I just told my parents, I said, I know that I need Jesus, and I want to ask him into my heart. And... There was no magic in this, but we still, and my dad's a pastor, so I guess he felt like he had to. We walked down to the, we, we were in the back of the sanctuary at the time, and uh, we walked down to the altar, mm. and my, my sister was still in a baby carrier, so we left her in the back. Uh, but me and my parents went down and knelt at the altar, and I gave my life to Jesus when I was four. And uh, <clears throat> never really had a, a time of, of rebellion. Mm. Uh, you know, there were dry spells, certainly, where my relationship was not where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um but never, <clears throat> even in college, uh, not really a time of rebellion where I ran away from, from Jesus and uh, mm. been a part of uh, various ministries along the way. Um, obviously grew up as a pastor's kid, was not your traditional pastor's kid, but I, I was a leader in my youth group and, and that kind of thing. And um, FCA, high school, college, uh, tr- different traveling ministry teams, all that kind of stuff. And all that was just, you know, looking back, it was all preparation uh, of where God has me now. Mm. But uh, I met my wife uh, at FCA mm. at Wofford. Uh, she played at a uh, school down the road. and uh, I remember we got kind of put into a, our own little um, prayer group that night. Mm. She had a, a basketball keychain, and the keys were sitting on, on the ground on the carpet right beside her knee. We were all sitting, you know. You, I guess you can't say Indian style now. You have to say crisscross applesauce. <laughs> uh, back then, we were sitting Indian style. <clears throat> and uh, and I glanced down, I saw her keychain, and my first thought was, man, this woman's beautiful. She's at FCA, so I assume she's a Christian, mm-hmm. and she must like basketball. Mm-hmm. Where do I sign up, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the midst, midst of the conversation, I, th- I asked her, I said, do you uh, do you like basketball? She said, well, I should play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got married in July of, two, uh, of 90, 1996. Mm. Um, and uh, we had some, some stumbles along the road. Mm. Uh, child-wise, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then mm. uh, my daughter was born in 2000. My son was born in 2003. Mm. And uh, we've just been walking this journey out ever since, trying to figure it out. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I just want to say, too, you know, you mentioned the the testimony envy. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I actually just started uh, hosting a small group at our church. Mm-hmm. And 
we kind of have that dynamic between myself and my co-leader where I have that, that flashy, juicy yeah. testimony yeah. of growing up in church and falling away and trying a lot of different things and then coming back. And he's got the more traditional testimony that, sure. that you have where he grew up in church, he had some struggles and, you know, dealt with temptation, but he's been a believer since a young age. And so he kind of jokes back and forth, you know, right. is, if you want to hear the good stories, you know, listen to him and all that. And I think, you know, like you say, maybe that makes more of an impression on some people, sure. but at the same time, you know, I didn't become a believer until I was 23, 24. So I wasted a lot of my life oh, yeah. and, and chasing the, the desires of the flesh yep. and, and not serving the Lord. So I, I think that's, that's wonderful. And obviously if I could go back and change my own personal history, then I would have become a believer earlier and served the Lord longer. But he has me, like you say, where he needs me now and prepared me through all those struggles that yeah. I went through. Well, and you're not alone. I, you know, we, we've met a bunch of people through the years with our ministry and uh, people coming from all over the map, literally. Mm-hmm. And um, several people, one who probably top three testimonies I've ever heard from, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what mm-hmm. you did before you met Jesus and then what a radical mm-hmm. experience it was when you met Jesus and what a crazy different person you are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we were having a conversation and he asked me, uh, you know, what's your story? And I was like, mm-hmm. eh, well, and I kind of shot away. Oh, I was in Sunday school and by mm-hmm. BBS and blah. And he said, man, he said, I have mm-hmm. so many scars from uh-huh. all of my bad decisions. And mm-hmm. it, it's made me who I am and it's made me so grateful for what Christ did in my life. But just, he said the exact words you did. He said, I wasted so much of my life. Mm-hmm. Opportunities that I could have been doing what you're doing. And uh, here I am thinking ah, I should have should have gone crazy for a while and it would make my my story more more uh, flashy mm-hmm. like you said, uh, but that's not the case. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, God, our journey is one that God has us on, and He's got a plan for our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you use your journey mm-hmm. uh, as a ministry tool, and I think that's what you guys are doing here on this mm-hmm. podcast as well. That's right, man. That's what, and that's exactly what we, we kind of keep going back to that verse about how God, you know, allows us to to comfort others with the comfort that we have received. You know, because we've all received, we also have some kind of ministry. You know, that God's given us, and it might be a ministry like, like Will said, where man, there was this time of of rebellion and whatever in, in life that then God brought him through, and or it might be where hey, God just you know thankfully had His hand on us from the from the beginning from an early age that we were then able to to continue walking with him and that that itself is is a ministry as well and mm-hmm. so and as we get into to today you know wanting to be a comfort to guys out there that have gone through infant loss that there might not be any other material out there specifically aimed for men you mm-hmm. know and that's why we're trying to step into the gap right mm-hmm. there and so that's mm-hmm. and again that's specifically why we asked you on here you and i know each other a long time yeah and the first, uh, really the first time we got to know each other was in an airport on the way uh, overseas to do a basketball trip. Uh, that was many moons ago and um, uh, when my right knee would actually work properly and uh, my left hip worked a lot better at that time as well. <laughs> and I remember, uh, you know, we didn't really know each other and sat down at some, uh, you know, some little table in an airport and you kind of shared with me you know, your, your story. Cause you had heard a little bit about our story right. and you said, Hey man, I just, you know, want to encourage you. I've been down a similar path and then, and here's our story. Um, well, I, I can remember it was my birthday. Um, I'm not exactly sure. 90, 
was 98, I believe. Um, and uh, I just let my kids out to go to lunch. And uh, this girl who played on the, on the girls' basketball team, she came in after everybody had walked out with a present. Well, I, it's my birthday. It's not unusual for my students to give me presents, right? Um, she just wasn't one of my students. And I thought, this is kind of weird. Um, so you're immediately thinking of the police song, The Young Teacher. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't stand so close to me. That's right. That mm-hmm. uh, but she said, here you go, Coach. <clears throat> um and I opened it. She she just turned around and walked out, and I thought that was even stranger. I opened it, and there was a bib in the in the present, and it was a picture of a uh, a sea lion a sea lion spinning a ball on his nose, mm. and the bottom of it said, uh, "My daddy is so sealy." Mm. Get it, sealy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, what in the world? And I looked up, and my wife standing in the doorway, mm. and I said no way and she kind of had tears in her eyes and she shook her head yes and so we we hugged and and um i got some people to cover my last couple of classes once i started telling people all the teachers like yeah you need to get out of here y'all need to go celebrate we got your classes so we went out to lunch that day and and, um, and celebrated and uh the next day i told all my classes i told the faculty and staff you know hey we're having a baby blah 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 and which was i was excited you know um i was proud it was unexpected but i was excited and then um and then about uh about four weeks later we went for ultrasound uh so that we could hear the heartbeat of the baby you know about 12 weeks in and just kind of check and make sure everything's going okay and and the uh, nurse is, is doing the ultrasound and kind of scanning all over uh, my wife's stomach and everything else and um and she uh, she just kind of had this puzzled look on her face and she said um hang on I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get the doctor and you know my wife said hey immediately she said something's wrong something's wrong and i said no it, you know don't don't invent trouble you know let's let's uh let's wait and see and sure enough, the doctor came in he said well you know and he's very academic and very uh-huh. cold and very sterile, you know, and no emotion. And he, you know, I remember him, him saying these words. Well, the fetal pole is only showing seven weeks of growth, but you are 12 weeks into your pregnancy. I said, Doc, stop. Are you saying our baby died five weeks ago? And he said, yeah, that's that's what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had no idea, obviously. Um, and so a couple of days later, they scheduled, you know, the D&E and, and um, went back to the hospital and they removed the baby and and uh, you know it was all very cold again very sterile uh, and not just not just physically you know obviously it had to be to, for the procedure but it was emotionally sterile almost mm. um, for me you know I, I women and and the three of us sitting here have gone through the same thing but we we don't understand how women immediately form that bond with their children um, you know I was excited and I told all my kids the next day. But I didn't, I, I, when I would go home and think, oh my goodness, we've got a baby coming, you know, and we're uh, barely two years married. Uh, I'm not sure if we're ready, and I know the house isn't ready, and what is, I, I don't know if I'm ready to be a dad. And I mean, that was the plan, it was just not that soon. Hmm. And uh, so all these questions going through my mind, 
and at the same time, my wife's just kind of going deeper and deeper emotionally connecting with this baby that's mm-hmm. growing inside of her. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's taken out, literally. And she was, she was distraught, mm-hmm. you know, and she was really, really, really struggling. And, um, and I, didn't, I didn't understand it. I mean, I, I was sad, but I, had, I didn't have the connection she did. And she really struggled. And having talked about it after the fact and looking back at it, she struggled a lot longer than I thought she had struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, questioning all kinds of things, which is, is natural, right? Um, I, I, God's not afraid of hard questions. Um, in fact, you know, having spent time all over, all over the world and spending time with people in other countries and cultures, um, most of them say you, you don't ask questions of insert God, little g God name here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but God very clearly in His words says, "Taste and see that mm-hmm. the Lord is good." Jesus talks numerous times throughout the Gospels, "Test me in this, try me out, mm-hmm. uh, seek me." That means question, look, investigate. Um, he's not afraid of hard questions, hmm. and um, and that's that's where that's where she was during that first that first miscarriage. And how so? You, you mentioned how we as guys just don't understand that bond. Mm-hmm. We just don't because the baby's not inside us, right? You know, and so um, when you sense that that she was having a hard time emotionally, maybe harder than you, like. How did that look for you being able to be there for her? Or was there like a disconnect because you were like, I don't know what she's going through. I don't get it. You know, like, did it, did this time help your relationship? Did it, did it draw you closer together? Did it draw you apart? Like, how were y'all able to connect uh, during that time? I would probably have to say both. And it's weird to say both. Uh, I can remember laying on the bed with her and she's just kind of rolled up in a ball and she'd been crying and that kind of stuff and my mom called and um this was a day or two after we found out and my mom called and i got the phone and i walked into the other room because i didn't want i didn't want her to hear and uh she's asked me questions and i can remember telling my mom oh, I, I just don't understand why it's hurting her so deeply because it's not hurting me that deeply i'm sad but she can't get out of bed right and so there was that disconnect. I, mm-hmm. I, I could not empathize with her, right? But I could sympathize with her. And so even though there was a disconnect in our emotional state, I knew she needed me. And I, I recognized it as an opportunity for me to show her how much I loved her. You know, <clears throat> just lay there beside her, get her food, do whatever, make... Uh, cancel things that she had to be involved with and that kind of thing and just take care of her mm-hmm. uh, in all the various ways and show show her that I loved her during that time even though I didn't really understand what she was going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a an important thing that you bring up there and I don't know, maybe just the way you said it, but I don't know if it would stick with everyone else the same way, you know, and want, they want it fleshed out like I would, but you said you, you couldn't empathize, but you could sympathize. Mm-hmm. Could you, I think that's a common thing yeah. that I know my wife and I dealt with a little bit. Could you flesh that out a little bit more? You know, what do you, what did that feel like? What did you feel disconnected from your wife? But like you say, you know, maybe emotionally you weren't in the same place, but you knew that she needed you. Mm-hmm. I think that's 
that's probably a place where a lot of guys are mm-hmm. for a long time, uh, for weeks or months or yeah. you know however long. I think that's that's something we could take a little time on. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, women, generally speaking, are more emotional than men. Mm-hmm. At least they show it more. Um, we we tend to bottle it up and mm-hmm. not show it. Um, you mentioned the big uh, nasty B word when you started gay mm. you said if you're willing to be vulnerable mm. you know that's that's not something we embrace very mm-hmm. often you know and and i think that even goes to the next level so you know we are we have a shared experience in the common bond even though you and i just met this mm-hmm. morning will <clears throat> um we still have that common bond and are okay in opening up in this context um it's not something we embrace generally speaking and when we sense, at least this was my experience, when we sense that my wife needs me, mm. I don't have time to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even though that might be medicinal for me, mm. I, I'm not going to be that way right now because my wife needs me to be strong. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, at least in my case, recognizing her need for strength and her need for me to be there for her, I f- almost felt like I didn't have the opportunity mm-hmm. uh, and again, it, it, we were not in the same place emotionally. And so even if I had time to do a deep bi- deep dive into my feelings and everything else, mm. I wouldn't have felt what she was feeling because it was our first. Um, but I still just kind of pushed that aside for her sake. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was trying to avoid it myself. But I felt at that moment, mm. and I've since learned otherwise, but I felt at that moment that I needed to be strong for her had not show any emotion mm-hmm. to protect her, right? Yeah. yeah, I understand that. That's similar place I was in as well. Yeah, and I was going to say, I, I, I think that's exactly what we have to be strong for our for our women mm-hmm. in this scenario. Um, for particularly, I mean, con- consistently, but they do eventually want us to open up, you know, right. and to be vulnerable for them. But I, I remember kind of, a scenario we were still in the hospital i guess our girls had been born they were in the nicu and um ryan's parents were going to go get us some dinner or something mm-hmm. so we didn't have to eat the hospital food you know and you know how it is when a lot of times on you know date night or whatever and it's like where do you want to go to eat i don't know where do you yeah. want to go eat? i don't know where yeah. you want. i don't care you you know unless christians were like let me serve you by not caring you know whatever <laughs> and i and I just remember her dad being like, what do you want to eat? And I just remember saying, go to Capri's. She wants this sandwich. She wants mm-hmm. this side. She wants this drink. She wants this salad. She wants this dressing. Mm-hmm. And then I remember later, like randomly, Ryan was like, you know, that was the most decisive that you have ever been for me. Mm-hmm. On a, you know, And it yeah. was some little yeah. thing like about where she wanted to. But it was all about being her strength at mm-hmm. that time when she didn't even know what she wanted to, yeah. to eat. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we have to to be there for them and be strong for them. But then eventually we have to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to lay aside my stoicism, yep. you know, to then be able to, to connect with them and let them know. And we've talked about this a lot to let them know that we do care, you know, mm-hmm. even though we don't understand and feel what they're feeling. And, and I know that you were able to do that. Well, and, and, and I learned, you know, unfortunately we had two more opportunities to learn this process mm-hmm. and, um, uh, really even three and a half, uh, total, but, um, but I, I, you know, I, I realized it cause you, you want to love your wife the way she needs to be loved. Mm. And the better you get to know your wife through the years, the more you know how to love her. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And uh, <clears throat> my wife is a functioning introvert. She's great with people, has great influence with people. She's a great speaker, teacher. Um, but if she has to prepare and spend around, spend a time around a group of folks, and and um, small talk is her biggest fear. To be honest, she can stand in front of thousands mm-hmm. of people and go at it and not have a problem. But if she's got to meet with three or four of them afterwards and just mm-hmm. hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. That wears her out. So after something like that, um, I have learned to say, hey, I love you. So I'm going to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Like, if I love you, I want to be with you, right? Mm-hmm. My kids are in relationships right now, and they're they're putting thousands of miles on their car and staying up mm-hmm. late at night and all that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. they're in love, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's their love. They're loving them like they want to be loved. Mm-hmm. But I think the true depth and matu- uh, maturity of love is when you recognize how the other needs to be loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I didn't know that at the time. We've been married two plus years. First miscarriage. I didn't mm. understand all this. This is this is hindsight. You know, this is uh, life experience teaching us. Um, but as we had the opportunity, unfortunately, to do this again and again, um, I recognized some of those things that okay, I've been strong. I've been stoic. To use the word you used a second ago, Gabe. Uh, it it's it's now time to to let her inside, you know. That's right. And you, you mentioned your wife being able to stand in front of thousands of people and speak. So I, I know why she's had those opportunities. Right. Would you like to share that a little bit? Okay. Well, um, we, we, had, we had two more miscarriages uh, after the first one. In fact, our second one was my next birthday. Wow. Happened the same exact thing. My I, I got a uh, – she didn't go to the – the uh, degree of, you know, sneaking around and giving my present somebody to deliver to me at school, but she ended up giving me a present for my birthday and opened up. It was the same bill. Wow. A year later, and I thought, what? Wow. And she kind of smiled. And so I picked up right where I left off. So I was a lot more ready day one for our second child than I was our first child. And um, and then <clears throat> um, and something else that we stumbled stumbled across and learned from our first time, I told you I told all of my kids and all the faculty and staff the next day. Well, it was about four weeks later that we had the miscarriage, and I was coaching basketball at the time. And I can remember uh, three or four weeks after our miscarriage, we had our year-end banquet. And so my players had told their parents that we were having a baby. And so they come up, how's your wife? How's the baby? And, and you know, you, you pause because I'm getting ready to lay something on you that's going to make you feel awful, and I'm going to feel awful. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're going to feel awful because you think you're making me feel awful, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And that happened time and time and time again because we would see people at church, you know, that we would only see at church, and mm-hmm. maybe they missed a week and we missed a week, whatever, and, and then it's it's two, three, four weeks later, mm-hmm. and they're asking how the baby is. Well, we lost the baby, and they feel terrible, you feel terrible. Mm-hmm. So we kind of learned from that and kind of kept quiet um, with the, the, the second pregnancy. Uh, got to the point where we felt like it was safe, um, you know, that, that, that we went and got the ultrasound where we could hear the heartbeat, and that was a major benchmark for us because we'd never been there. Sure. And then we slowly started telling people, and then within a week or two, um, she she started having some really bad ab- abdominal pain. It was late on a Saturday night, and uh, I'm like, let's go to the hospital. She said, no, no. And so we called the doctor, and are you doing this? You're doing this and whatever. And so she ended up going to the, to the bathroom 
and she she miscarried in mm. in the in the toilet and mm. again I, I think Swain gave the disclaimer but um not only was I more emotionally prepared for the second one immediately because of the first one, but it was rougher on me because I'm on the phone with the doctor, and he said, well, we need to know if mm. it was the baby or if it was just a blood clot or something. Mm. And so I had to I had to dig down in the toilet and and look and see that, mm. it, that it was the, the baby and then had to, had to pull the trigger and flush it at one point. And so that was hard, much harder for me than the first one was. Um, and, uh, and we both wrestled and I think that's when we began to grow together mm. because we were sharing that grief and sharing that hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been stoic. Uh, I had been strong because I thought that's what I was supposed to do as the, as the husband, as the protector. Um, and then we just, we just hurt together, uh, the second time and that, that mm. connected us. Um, and then about six months later, she was on a, a school retreat. She she had gotten pregnant again, hmm. um, and a couple of weeks after we found out she was pregnant, she was on a school retreat. She called crying, said, "You got to come get me. I just did it again. Hmm. I just did it." Those were the words, and, I, and she said, "I just did it again." Hmm. So I realized that she's struggling with something a lot different yeah, than I am because she's thinking it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wrestling with that, you know, but that was, that was something new even mm-hmm. on this third time that uh, realized that she was blaming herself for it mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's something we kind of walked through mm-hmm. and then about a year and a half later um we went to uh for the 20 week ultrasound of our fourth pregnancy and um to find out you know we we done the heartbeat ultrasound we're we're marking off these weeks and we're getting more and more excited because maybe it's finally going to work this time and we go to, for the ultrasound to find out the sex of the baby and we find out that her leg wasn't developing properly um, the nurse said that the, the, uh, the leg was about half the size, her left femur was about half the size of her right femur. There really wasn't much else. It, they had no idea what was going on, no idea why this was going on. Uh, he called us in, the doctor called us in and, uh, said, let's do a couple tests, come back next week, we'll do a couple tests and we need to rule out some things. But because that first miscarriage was so sterile and it happened in the hospital, they were able to kind of investigate and find out why we had the the initial miscarriage miscarriage and it was a chromosomal issue Mm. so when he found that out he said the likelihood of that being the case here is pretty strong Mm. and uh he said and i I can remember we're sitting well my wife was sitting in his office um in front of his desk he was sitting at his desk and i was having to stand beside her because we walked in there's only one chair in front of the, Mm. the desk and he had a uh, kind of a high back chair over by the corner. I grabbed it and started pull, pulling it over so I could sit beside my wife. He said, uh-uh, don't move my furniture. Mm-hmm. So I had to stand there by my wife while she's sitting, and he's giving mm-hmm. us this news. And he said, when he said that it's probably this chromosomal issue, he said, babies that, that have this, they're almost all miscarried in the first trimester, mm-hmm. which we had encountered. He said, but babies that make it this far almost always will go full term but they'll die within two weeks. Oh, shoot. Mm. And he said, so we need to talk about options. My mm. goodness. And I said, no, there, there, there is no option, right? And uh, he said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. And he started telling me all this stuff that could go wrong and was going to go wrong. And I said, no, you don't understand. Abortion is not an option for us. And um, I said, if, 
if we lose a baby between now and then, or the baby lives two weeks or 47 years, she belongs to him, you know? And that was a moment where I, I didn't know it again. We've, we've retold this story time and time again, as you mentioned, Gabe, when she ended up writing a book about it. Um, and, and I didn't know at the time, and she has admitted this since to the groups when she speaks that, and, and it's come full circle because, you know, as, as Christians, as, as those that believe in the, the sanctity of human life, sometimes we just, if anybody is considering, even considering that, there's something wrong with you. Hmm. And she said, and this is part of her story, at times, and in that office that day, and I didn't know it. I was just doing what I felt like I was called to do and what I felt strongly about. She said there was, there was a moment of doubt hmm. where I thought, I don't know if I can go all through through all this again. Mm. And she said, and she says many times, if it weren't for you st- standing up for me, I'm not sure I could have made that decision. Mm. Yeah. And so that that has grown her heart for the mothers that have to make the decisions because some, sometimes it's not just they're they're evil and they want to kill every baby that's ever been conceived. It's the circumstances, you know, and. Um, so one of one of her one of her platforms is, um, you know, care for the mother, not just let's just save everybody we can. Let's let's try to try to help some mothers along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a chance to to uh, testify in front of the Senate subcommittee mm-hmm. several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and she and my daughter, and right before there was a mother who was had had several abortions and she was there promoting Hmm. abortion and giving a testimony for because it was a bill that was going to allow um, because they had come to the point where they realized that at 20 weeks babies can feel pain Hmm. uh, 20 weeks in utero and and so she was our baby was that way you know when 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 they did the amnio test for some various things they stuck the needle in and uh, she shot we're watching all this on ultrasound she shot away went over and if there's a corner of the womb, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but she shot away, and then it was almost like it clicked. Wait a minute. You're invading my space. And hmm. we watched her reach up and grab the shaft of the needle. Holy moly. And she's shaking it, hmm. and the doctor's hand on the outside actually moved. Hmm. Wow. And hmm. he just was, and this is the same guy that recommended that we have an abortion a week earlier. And he just, his jaw dropped, and he, you know, he did what he did, and he took the, the sample and pulled it out. And I said, because he had told us, the baby's going to shy away and stay away from the needle. Because, you know, she, my wife was worried about uh, injuring sure. the baby. Yeah. And, and he said, no, they're going to go away. They're always afraid of anything intruding mm-hmm. their space. And uh, she just reached up and was like, get out of here, dude, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And we knew we had a fight on our hands at that point. But, um, you know, a few weeks later, she was... Uh, born uh, with uh, her leg again hadn't developed properly I struggled because in that uh, 10-12 week period between the ultrasound and um, once all the tests were done and everything else to the time she was born um, I convinced myself because I was on my knees every day God God heal her and we're both teaching and coaching we have those communities that are following our story and that kind of thing our home church Um, and I said if you heal her, I'm going to yell from the mountaintops the miracle mm. that you had done. And honestly, I was 
I was thinking way too small. Um, cause that would have been the, you know, the 1500 people at my school and the 1500 people at her school and the 1500, 2000 people at our church. And I could have, I could have yelled that God did a miracle, but even then some people at Dow were like, ah, that ultrasound was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, they were doctors just mistaken. There's no miracle here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so she was born, her left leg wasn't, uh, developed properly and, we, we didn't have any idea what was going on. Seven different doctors, seven different kinds of doctors looked at her mm-hmm. in her first uh, three days of life, examined mm-hmm. her, and they, the seven different kinds of doctors came up with five different diagnoses, mm-hmm. and none of them were right. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, they did a biopsy at 10 days and uh, found out that there was a, a malignant tumor that had developed in her hip and thigh mm-hmm. and restricted blood flow to her leg, which is why her leg developed properly. And this was early, early on. So we find out that our baby has cancer at 10 days old. Then the second question is, well, my wife must have cancer too. And uh, they assured us that was not the case. Um, she started chemo at two weeks. Uh, we went through three month, three cycles of chemo. Um, she's had, I don't know how many different surgeries, two major surgeries to extract the tumor. Uh, but she is, she's an incredible young lady and uh, she's, swam for her high school she even competed in a couple of track meets <laughs> she was they had asked her to compete in a this is her senior year at a major high school here in town and she was um they wanted her to compete in the the, the wheelchair the trike race at the mm-hmm. state meet we didn't have one of those at our school but they wanted her to compete at state level but we found out that she had to compete in two track meets in order to be eligible to compete in the state meet mm-hmm. well there was no there were no wheelchair races mm-hmm. And so <laughs> she threw the shot put and the discus uh, in a couple of track meets, uh, huh. you know, trying to compete for that. She, uh, she's an amazing young lady, loves Jesus, has spent time overseas with us, obviously, has spent time overseas by herself hmm. uh, in her journey. And so, uh, I, you know, back then we were just thinking way too small. Hmm. Uh, but God's done some amazing things through her and through her story and in her even. And we're still excited to see what's coming. Yeah, we appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, there's a lot that I wrote down, several notes here that I'm trying to figure out which question to ask you next, which path we want to go down. We're already at, at 42 minutes. I think we're shooting for around an hour here. Uh, just try to respect your time. Oh, so we did uh, have an hour. We I thought we only hour. had 30 minutes. Oh, Gabe's trying to cut you so, short. Yeah, so, well, that's Gabe's job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a reason that my podcast is called I Say All That to Say This. Yes. Yeah, okay. Gabe's trying to cut you short, and I'm like, man, I don't have to be anywhere till 9. So... <laughs> We got 30 minutes here. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know, there's a lot. There's things that you said, you know, you had to learn how to love your wife the way she needed to be loved and the way that would help her grow and would help her feel encouraged and, and would build your relationship. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, your wife may have preferred that you had done some things differently or if you had known what was best for her at the beginning, you may have done some things differently and maybe she wouldn't have appreciated those things because she thought she wanted things done a different way. And my thought was, that's what God has done to us. That, you know, we, you know, like you said, you were you were praying for healing for your daughter and that you wanted everything to be perfect when she came out. And, you know, same thing for, for my wife and I. And, and I know for, for Gabe and his wife that, you know, we were just praying, we want healing. You know, we want the doctors to be wrong. We want there to be healing. Yeah. And we'll proclaim your name through that and what you've done for us. And if 
we don't know how things would have turned out, but most likely if, if my son had not been stillborn and, and Gabe's girls had not passed on, we wouldn't be here. Right. And whatever 10 guys, 50 guys, 100 guys, however many people have listened to this, you know, wouldn't have the chance to hear our stories and to, to know that there are people that are going through this as well and are here to encourage them. So, you know, I think that's an important point, you know, to, to realize that God isn't this genie who we can just pray to and say, hey, make this thing right. And right. it happens that sometimes maybe God is learning or is loving us the way that we need to be loved, the way that's mm. best for us. And that's hard for us to see that from yeah. our perspective. And I think that's an important thing we need to keep in mind that, that God doesn't love us maybe the way we want to be loved, but the way that we should be loved. Yeah. Uh, I, I, as you're talking, I'm reminded of the night that we found out that um, she's 10 days old and we'd just gotten the results back. All of our families were in the, ho- in the hotel room, the hospital room. We were not in the hotel. Uh, <clears throat> and the doctor came in to give us the news that she had cancer. And I remember Wendy just collapsing in my arms and my parents, her parents were smart enough to say, hey, let's give them some time. And we just kind of melted into a puddle on the floor and you we, you know the transition of from the first miscarriage i need to be strong for my wife is what she needs to at that moment i knew she just needed me to be there and hurt mm-hmm. with her and we just cried together for a long time and um when my mother-in-law walked out of the room she called our pastor's secretary to tell the, our pastor what had happened and uh, he actually um story goes he was at at dinner with a friend in Columbia and mm-hmm. just got up from the dinner table and left to drive straight to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And we had had some people tell us, you know, some good things, quote scripture and, you know, speak truth over us. And in times like this, it's really hard to find the right words, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and some people had done some, some unintentional harm mm-hmm. in sharing some of the things they shared um, and hurt, but, at, you know, removed from the situation, you're like, all right, they were just trying to, they were just trying to love us best way they, best way they knew. And so as, as, as our pastor's riding up the road and we know he's on the way, I'm thinking, all right, if anybody knows what to say, it's Mike. Uh, cause he's been in these situations so many times and has walked through so many tragedies with so many families. And I remember more than what he said afterwards what he's this this phrase and he walked in he had a tear in his eye because he knew what was going on and it was just the three of us in the room and he pulled up a chair and i'm expecting him to say you know in leviticus chapter 12 uh the lord says you know um and he just starts to cry and he said guys i wish i could tell you i knew why this was going on and why y'all were having to go through this but i have no idea and by this time, this journey's you know four or five months. We're four or five months into this journey because of the all this started with the ultrasound at twenty weeks. And so he was aware; he knew what was going on. And he said, "I wish I knew what was going on, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't have the right words, so I'm just going to sit here and cry with you." Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, if someone who has been in almost every imaginable tragedy over the last twenty twenty five years doesn't know what to say. I'm probably not going to know the right thing to say when one of my friends is in a, in the midst of tragedy too. And it, it's that picture of going from the first miscarriage when I was trying to be strong and do what I thought was right to we find out that, that our daughter has cancer and we just 
fall on the floor together and cry together on that hard tile floor mm -hmm. because that's what she needed, you know, and that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. And just the growth of that, I think, is is um, experience talking, you know. Um, you don't have to have the right words to say. Mm -hmm. And he, said, he, he followed up by saying this. He said, I, I wish I knew why this was going on. I wish I had the words to tell you I don't. But I will tell you this. God's plan for our lives are so intricate and so, I mean, he wrote our stories before our stories even came to be. We read mm -hmm. in Psalm 139. Every day of my life was, was written down before one of them came to be. And he said, days or years from now, you're going to see why this is going on. But mm -hmm. there's no way to know now, and I don't have the words to tell you. And I told you I was thinking way too small when I wanted her to be born with two healthy legs, right? Mm -hmm. And what God's done with her and in her and around her and the lives of people that have known her since, mm -hmm. um, it just made that all the more true. Mm -hmm. And, man, I just want to say, like, I think you brought up a good point there, even with the pastor saying, I don't know why you're going through this. Because so many times, like, guys just think, or anybody can think, Oh, because I'm following Christ, then, or if somebody's not a Christian, because I'm a good guy, yeah, my life's just going to be good. That's like, right. It should be easy, you That's know, right. because I'm not, you know, doing X, Y, or Z, or whatever the case may be, then life's going to be easy. But there's no, that's, there's no, that's, that's not biblical, right? Mm -hmm. That's just not the way that it is. And so that's why I think that's important that guys hear that. It's like, if you're going through this, this doesn't mean that it's, necessarily because you've done anything wrong right you know like you'd said wendy was kind of blaming herself yep. or i did this again or i it happened you know what did she say i did it again right mm -hmm. that it's not that you're being punished or it's not that there's you know something going on but likewise it, it or on the flip side of that rather it's not because you're following christ or because you're a good guy that your life should be easy mm -hmm. it doesn't there's nothing that says that's <clears throat> going to be the case and so it's hard to think or to come up with those answers of why am I yeah. going through this, mm -hmm. um, particularly when you're going through it, you oh, know, and we may we may never know. But then, like you just said a minute ago, years down the road, you know, mm -hmm. weeks down the road, months down the road, whatever, those those pieces of that puzzle start to come together. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you're like, okay. Well, can I? I want to say this to somebody who might be listening, and it's not years down the road yet. Mm -hmm. When we heard some of those words, words of encouragement from our pastor. Um, words of encouragement from our friends and our family who were speaking truth, were speaking scripture. In my mind, I knew that was true and I knew it was right. It just didn't help me feel any better at the moment. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. You're not supposed to, be, somebody's not, there, there's no secret formula or secret magic words that somebody says, okay, it's all better now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a process. And, and there's nothing wrong if the process, if because, there's nothing wrong with you because it takes a process. And there's nothing wrong with you because the process takes years, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is not something that you're supposed to just immediately get over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when when Gabe said that, you know, it's not it's not your fault. You know, it's not a result of your sin that you you suffer always. Uh, I thought of the story of of Jesus healing the blind man, mm -hmm. and you know, he goes to the temple and. And they're asking questions, you know, who sinned? You know, was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus says, you know, he was born blind so that God could be glorified through his blindness. And, well, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, I think that's that's not to say, 
oh, now I know that, that my son was stillborn and that you had three miscarriages and and that's because God is glorified or God is glorified through that. So I'm good. That's all I need to know. But there's also a great amount of hope that we can take in that, that this isn't all just random coincidence and this is not, it's not our fault mm-hmm. and it's not something that we could have done differently, you know, if we were better people or, you know, there's just some ethereal thing out here floating that maybe good things will happen to you, maybe bad things will happen to you, but we can take solace in the fact that God has a plan and things happen because that part of his plan and ultimately he'll be glorified through them. Well, when you were talking about the blind guy, mm-hmm. Jesus healing the blind guy, I thought this was where you were going. I love the blind guy's response when they ask him, who is this guy? What happened? Who? He said, I don't know who he is mm-hmm. and I don't care. Yeah. I was blind and now I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's something that we miss a lot of times is how powerful our own personal testimony can be, how powerful our stories can be. Um, and, you know, his story for the rest of his life was, mm-hmm. I don't know who this guy was. Some people called him uh, maybe Jesus, I think they said. I don't know. But he just said, see, and I saw, mm-hmm. and I couldn't before. And he didn't really care about anything else because God had changed his life. And that's what he retold over and over again the rest of his life. And so um, I don't care what the reason was. And there's some speculation. And um, But even even in the midst of the, the, the surgeries that came after and them thinking they, they pretty much knew exactly how everything happened, mm-hmm. at that point in time, I didn't care. God had already begun to do a work in her life and through her story, and that's a, that's all we cared about. You know, we didn't care about how how cool the intricacies of the surgery was, mm-hmm. and uh, or and you know, and and there were five or six different doctors involved in different surgeries. Uh, I still think about the neurosurgeon um, in the second surgery, looking over the shoulder of the surgeon the pediatric surgeon who was doing most of the extraction of the tumor, and they're down at the bottom of the spine. Gabe, you know this well, and the, the, the nerve endings that come out and kind of finger out, well, the the tumor had fingers of its own and kind of begun to intertwine with those nerve endings on your spine, and so they were worried about paralysis. And uh, and they, they're retelling the story, and, um, you know, He's the the neurosurgeon's looking over the surgeon's shoulder, saying, "Hey, cut right there! Oh, don't don't mess with that one. That's good. Leave that one alone. Cut right here. Cut right here." And he's he's like backseat driving during the whole surgery, you know. And looking back on it, it's like, man, that is crazy incredible. But at the time, I didn't care. She she still could move her legs. She could still feel when we tickled on her foot and that kind of thing. In fact, the neurosurgeon kept coming back to check on her the days after the surgery. And about the fourth or fifth day, he did that little tickle thing on her foot, and she kicked him in the nose. And he said, well, I guess she's good now. Mm-hmm. I, my job here is done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. But I didn't care about which nerve ending w- went to what and what mm-hmm. possible. Right. God used their skill mm-hmm. and blessed them with their knowledge to, to heal my daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like that blind man, I don't, I don't care who it was. Mm-hmm. I can see now, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think, you know, we've got a little more time here. I want to wrap up some of these questions that, that we've got um, and just kind of touch on wherever they lead. Um, you had mentioned, you know, that you and your wife were dealing with things differently, you know, in the midst of of your struggles with miscarriage. And 
I guess, is that your, my question here is, you know, what, what was your biggest regret through that time? And then what are you most thankful for through that time? And I don't know, would your biggest regret be that you tried to be so stoic at first and you tried, you weren't connecting with your wife the way that you later learned she would have appreciated or, you know, how would you explain those? And then how would you advise someone to steer clear of that if they're going through Mm -hmm. this as well? That's a deep question. Uh, I, I think probably thinking that I needed to be strong for her the very first miscarriage um, and missing out on the potential connection that we could have had in our in sharing a hurt was probably the, the biggest um, the biggest regret I have from that first one um, and then the um, and I you know the, the, the third miscarriage kind of blurred it happened I wasn't even there she was out of town I had to go get her and that kind of thing <clears throat> but the way the second miscarriage ended, and um, and then fast forwarding to the times that we found out one that her leg went developed properly because of the ultra or at the ultrasound, and then finding out that she had cancer and she was going to have to start chemotherapy at two weeks. And those moments were all um, just moments where we grew because we were just crying and hurting together. Um, I I think. Um, in my years of marriage, uh, we dated three years before we were married, so we've been together 28 years. So I feel like I know her pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've gotten to know her better through the years. <clears throat> but um, protecting your wife is something we're called to do as men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing how to make and, and and honestly, and this is this goes back to that first miscarriage. You protect your wife. Well, if some dude walks in the house with a gun, I'm taking the bullet, right? Or I'm taking him out so that he doesn't hurt my family. That's protecting, and that's that's the that's the elementary version of what protecting your family means. Um, but just and 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 she and I have had these conversations since when we hurt together, when we cried together, and and it, you know, that's that's Savannah will be the end of this month. She'll be. 20 years cancer free and that's an incredible story to have told years ago and still to this day obviously but we've gone through hardship since right and her she has said these words to me where the fact that i know you're hurting just like i am there's protection in that she said that because there's a we meaning she and I have created this bubble, if you will, where we're hurting together and that protects us because we're not we're not seeing neither one of us are singled out. Right. We are sharing. We know what each other's feeling and um, and protect each other because of that. Mm-hmm. And so hurting with her. Protects her feeling her her sense of of uh loneliness um so i i think that's probably the biggest point is is recognizing that um protection is not just keeping the strong man out of the house right or the bad guy away from your family it goes a lot deeper than that yeah i think that's a it's a good point i know it's one it's a thing that i had to learn myself Mm. I'm still learning. Uh, my wife and I are just two years removed from our son being stillborn, so um, we're we're still dealing with that, still dealing with dealing with the hurt. And 
connecting through that and, and like you said, you know, learning to love each other the way that we need to be loved. Um, I wanted to, to jump and we can maybe rapid fire a couple of these. I want to sure. respect your time. Um, but what are some, were, were there any particular Bible verses or stories from the Bible or truths from the Bible that were helpful for you and, and, uh, maintaining your relationship with the Lord and, and dealing with this in a, a God honoring way? You know, uh, one of the, one of the things that's always stuck out to me since, uh, well, and, and, well, let me say this first. When our pastor was in the room with us that night and just crying with us, he read uh, Isaiah forty-three and uh, said, "You'll go through the, you'll go through the waters, but you won't drown. You'll go through the fire, but you won't be burned. I'm with you." Um, that's a paraphrase, obviously, but um, those words have kind of stuck with us, and we've been able to use those words to speak truth in the lives of people going through struggles ever since. But um, I, I think. Um, I think recognizing that, I mean, Gabe, we've been overseas playing basketball, teaching basketball. That's a skill, right? Some of us are more skilled than others, right? And Yeah, and just for the record, uh, and I said this this week in your presence, so I'm not just, uh, for you guys listening, in case they've said anything on previous podcasts, and I haven't listened to every single one of them, but if Gabe's talked about his uh, basketball acumen, Gabe is probably the best sub six foot post player I've ever played with. So I'll give him, I'll give him that that uh, shout out. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but recognizing not only your your skill set and your passions that God's given you and the way He's equipped you and 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 you know the spiritual gifts that you're blessed with and you're supposed to use those for His glory. I think your story is the same thing, right? The things that you've gone through. And the way that you've been chiseled and sharpened and, and, and molded as you've walked through those tragedies are molding you as a tool to be used later for God's glory in the lives of people that are going through the same thing uh, or similar situations, right? And I, I think, um, and that more comes after, I think. I don't, I don't think you're in the middle of, you know, you had a miscarriage in the next week. Oh, I'm going to use this story to benefit somebody, you know, be a blessing to somebody else two years down the road. You don't think of it then. But as, you're, as, you, as you get past some of the hurt and some of the, uh, some of the intensity of the moment, uh, you realize that my story, just like your testimony, we started talking about that, just like your testimony, my story of, and my journey um, can help speak truth in other people's lives, can help encourage them as they go through the same thing but i would say this uh this is the first one that came to mind when you were talking about scripture being outside of a past that moment and looking back there were so many people praying for us that god was protecting us and i didn't even know it and i i think about the the picture of um moses uh sorry not moses abraham over on the cliff overlooking the battle and God said, as long as your arms are up, then uh, we'll, um, nope, I am, I'm it's Moses. 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 Yes, I, yeah. I thought I'd correct myself. My wife's going to be mad for it's me. Yeah, it is. Uh, you only got me one cup of coffee. Uh, <clears throat> but Moses is, is holding his hands up, but he gets tired. When he gets tired, he drops his hands, and, and the Israelites begin to lose the, 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 the battle. And that's where his brothers come along and hold his arms up for him. And, um, and, so they hold his arms up. They they win the battle. Um, 
I think there's two pictures there. One is the people that literally come alongside of you and hold your arms up when you're in the midst of a battle. I think that's key, having those folks um, um, that will come alongside of you and hold your arms up. And then the flip side of that is you don't even really sometimes know what you're going through because I remember as my son was born two and a half years later, I remember one night we were in his room. I was changing his diaper, and and um, yep, I did that a couple times. I'm such a wuss, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was. Nah. Um, I I remember it was at a moment when when Savannah was going through her chemo uh, to keep her. Uh, you would know this white, red. I don't know blood cell counts up while she's going through fight off infection. Um, we had to give her shots each day. My wife doesn't do needles, so that fell on me. And, of course, she only had one healthy leg, and we had to give it to her in her leg, so I had to just keep puncturing the same the same thigh, you know, juicy, fat thigh every day. And she's crying, and that was, that was really a, a hard thing for me in the moment. But then fast forward two and a half, three years later, and I'm, I'm changing my son at about that same age, and I'm looking at him down on the changing table, and I'm thinking, how in the world? Could I have continually, day after day, stuck a needle in this little leg? I don't have any idea how I did it. And I realized then, man, God was working in ways we didn't even know because of the prayers of his people, you know, for our protection. And and not just, oh, Savannah would survive and she would thrive and be past this cancer and all that kind of stuff. But God was protecting us in the moment. We didn't even know it. Just from the intensity and the the immensity of the moment um, because it, it, you know, looking down at my son, it's like there's no chance in my own power I'm able to just stick that needle in the same leg day after day after day and just watch my daughter who is already struggling crying because I made her cry, you know. And two and a half, three years later, I realized, whoa, God really shielded us from some of that. So... And that was that was from the prayers of his people. That was from the prayers of people coming alongside him, lift, lifting their arms up. That's amazing. I want to give you just a few minutes here if, if you'd like to, to share about your ministry. Um, I'm not sure how much you want to share on this podcast, but I just want to open the floor up for you to share a little bit about it, maybe how the Lord led you through everything that you've been through and how that prepared you for yeah. your ministry. And uh, just give you and a then, chance to talk about that if you'd and like to. And about the podcast and about your upcoming book. Okay. Well, uh, I mentioned a second ago, God equips us in various ways. Um, played college basketball, was coaching uh, basketball, coached football for a couple of years in the, in the high school level, even helped with golf some. Um, and if there's anybody that happens to hear that, it's probably laughing. Um, but um, that has seen me on the golf course. Um, but I, I loved sports. You know, I played every sport growing up, um, you know, and I was just – I was on the field or on the court every chance I had, even on off days when I was playing at Wofford. Uh, you know, we'd have an off day. I'd go play pickup somewhere. Just loved it, you know. And as I began to teach and coach, I realized that I could use that as a ministry tool. I really felt like God called me to be a teacher and a coach when I was in college. And that was my mission field. And Lord knows the public schools are a mission field. And um, – and I was that I was in the middle of my ministry when I began to do short-term projects overseas. And but what it what it was, I began to see 
the lostness around the world where people had never even heard Jesus' name before because someone else decided for them they were never going to have a chance to hear. We all know people that aren't walking with Jesus now because that's their choice, right? They know the truth, and they've chosen to to live their life a certain way. But I was meeting folks trip after trip that had no idea who Jesus was, and it was not because they decided not to go to church on Sunday. It was because there were no churches. There was no gospel presence. There were they knew no Christians. They had never heard the story, and in most cases, it was it was either in governments or cultures where someone else had decided for them, and so that all kind of molded together and became a, a situation where I realized that I could use sports as a way to get into those places that traditional ministries uh, can or won't go. And you know this, you guys know that sports just automatically creates relationships. And uh, you could, whether you can speak the same language or not, we all speak ball, right? And uh, <clears throat> so you can walk out on a court with guys you can't communicate with verbally and still function and play a game uh, or on a baseball field or, you know, football field, whatever it is. And um, God began to kind of give me a glimpse of how he could use the passions and skill set that he'd given me years ago to reach the nations. And so that's when we um, – started impact sports and and as a result of impact sports um you know we we would go overseas uh i told you before the podcast started uh we just this summer we did our 70th overseas trip uh to the middle east not just to the middle east but all over the world but this particular trip was to the middle east and that's only then that's just counting one one trip over basically the last two years because of covid um but because of covid We've not been traveling, you know, near as much. Pre-COVID, we were doing six, seven international trips a year. We do 10 or 12 weekend prison trips a year. We go into prisons and play softball, basketball, volleyball, whatever it is, our men, women, um, and just build relationships and through those relationships share Jesus. And um, so we were kind of going crazy schedule-wise, and then all of a sudden it comes to a halt. And uh, uh, Gabe uh, told me back right – I mean, we went to lunch – a week before quarantine actually hit in March. And he knew that uh, people had been on me about writing a book and kind of collecting these God stories through the years of just amazing things that he's done uh, on the mission field and on the lives of people that went to the mission field. And um, and I remember <laughs> you said, have you started your book yet? I said, no, not yet. Kind of sheepishly looking down. I said, no, not yet. And he said, well, do it. And I had just this picture of Ben Stiller and I think Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. But ashamedly, I was able to limp through the rest of 2020 and not do it, actually. And so Gabe enlisted some help um, to some, some reinforcements to help force me to start writing in, in January. Uh, so I actually went away at, for a weekend in January to start kind of compiling this book. And, um, and then... Uh, the idea of the podcast came up, and it was we started in March, and it wasn't even on my radar. The beginning of of 2021, and uh, I think we just aired episode 20 uh, on Tuesday. It comes out the first and third Tuesdays of every month. Uh, it is called "I Say All That to Say This," so this people will understand. Not all of our episodes are this long. Some of them are shorter. We intentionally keep them shorter, just like you guys do. But you can see why. Probably listen to me. Why it's called "I Say All That to Say This." Um, but we have uh, we're, we finished the book, 
it's in the editing process and publishing process. And so November 16th, uh, the book will be released. And the name of the book is Utterly Amazed, uh, Stories from Outside the Boat. And that comes from two passages of Scripture that God gave me early on. Utterly Amazed comes from Habakkuk 1.5. Um, first four verses of Habakkuk 1, the prophet is, is complaining to God about letting, letting evil reign in the world and people getting away with doing bad things and all that sort of stuff. And that same could be said right now, right here, right? But God says in, in verse 5, he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And then you combine that with the story of Jesus walking out on the water, meeting the disciples on during the storm on Sea of Galilee, and Peter steps out of the boat and walks on water, does what no other man's ever done, simply because Jesus said, "Come," right? And so, combining those two are the kind of the foundational principles of, of who we are as a ministry. And so, we're hoping that um, the uh, the book and the podcast, but um, the book. Particularly, uh, we want to do two things. We want to brag on Jesus, you know, just celebrate what he's done that nobody else could do or orchestrate. We want to brag on Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. And we we want to help motivate people to step out of their own boat and see see God do some crazy things in and through them as well. Cool. Well, we appreciate you taking your time to come and speak with us and, and share the story of your children and your yeah. family. And uh, we just we hope everyone listening to this hears you know our stories and our hearts in this that uh that gabe and i have been vulnerable about you know we're not perfect we we certainly still have struggles and temptations and we're real guys we've been through real things that you're dealing with and same for you john that you you've been through things that uh, a lot of people could probably relate to unfortunately Mm -hmm. and uh we hope you guys know that you can reach out to us at any time you can check out his podcast i say all that to say this if you want to continue following john And just get in touch with us, please. Let us know what you think of this podcast and and other podcasts. And Gabe, you want to take us out? Absolutely. Again, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you all look for his book, which will be released on November 16th. And also make sure you follow Lost Boys, the Found Fathers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can check out my book, Thou Will Be Done. You can get that on Amazon. Just type in Thou Will Be Done, put a question mark at the end of that, and type in my name, Gabriel O'Sullivan. That should help you come up. Again, thanks for joining us today. Let's not be lost. Let's be found in him.